Hello, I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Sedgwick Podcast. And today we are talking about a very current and trending topic that I think everyone will uh, find very interesting. We've got three subject matter experts here to talk about the weight loss trend in healthcare and will it have impl- implications, especially in the workers' compensation industry. And here to share their expertise, we have Dr. Paul Peek, Vice President, Clinical Pharmacy, Dr. Teresa Bartlett, Managing Director, and Dr. Andrew Newhouse, Director of Clinical Pharmacy, all with Sedgwick. So thanks to the three of you for joining me today to talk about this really hot topic. Certainly, you can't turn on the news, you can't read a magazine, you can't look at social media uh, without seeing something about the latest uh, medication that you might be able to take to help you or help a person lose weight, reduce that, help with other health benefits, et cetera. So, Dr. Peek, whether the story is about the most recent celebrity, as we kind of uh, alluded to there, or patients having difficulty getting access, which is another issue that's being talked about a lot, uh, give us a sense of what these medications are and why these medications are grabbing all the headlines for us. Great question. Yeah, I think it's it's really kind of the perfect timing. You know, for so long, the medical world has been looking for that kind of perfect drug that's going to help people lose weight. We've had drugs, you know, approved for weight loss since the late 90s, but whether it was through bad side effects or just those drugs not working very well, We've never really kind of found that group of medications that, that really helps people lose weight. And what we have all of a sudden is we have this group of medications that are really indicated for diabetes. We call them GLP-1s, or really it stands for glucagon-like peptides. These are drugs that really do a couple of key things, and they were first put out in the market to address diabetes over almost 20 years ago. And they, the first thing they do is they help regulate insulin secretion, which helps, to, of course, control blood sugar. But secondly, they also suppress appetite. And so as these drugs have kind of progressed, as far as the various manufacturers who've been developing them and finding ways for these drugs, of it's, instead of them being used for maybe just a once-per-day dose, they're now being given once per week. And as these drugs have kind of come into the marketplace, they're noticing some pretty significant impacts to weight loss. And so all of a sudden we have the age of TikTok and you know, various celebrities and people trying these medications and losing weight looking very different than they had before. And so we had this kind of big craze about these medications, uh, and, and it, there's some really good success with them, I think that's fair to say, but there's also some concerns and, and side effects that we can, can kind of dive into. But ultimately, I think it's just the timing of these medications kind of maturing and becoming really uh, showing their value and helping to uh, suppress appetite in a way that's keeping people uh, or helping people lose weight. Uh, but also with the media buzz of TikTok and social media and on the news, it's just kind of hard to miss it out there. So I think that and the fact that we're actually starting to see this in workers' compensation has really got our attention. Um, these are not, you know, you would not typically think of weight loss medications being used in work comp, but we're seeing that as well. So, Dr. Bartlett, how do you envision these medications impacting healthcare in general, but uh, specifically looking at the workers' compensation arena? Well, Jonathan, if you think about our society in the United States, we have a huge problem with obesity. Um, Close to almost 50% of the population is overweight or obese. That is a huge health care burden 
And with obesity comes diabetes. Both of those conditions lead to cardiovascular risk, so high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, congestive heart failure, heart disease, insulin-dependent diabetes. Um, and, you know, I've fondly referred to it over the past 10 to 15 years as the diabetes epidemic because of the fact that, you know, we've gotten away from eating whole foods and we're more into the quick fix. Um, so if you think about it from a healthcare perspective in general, um, these drugs are a beautiful thing, right? If you can treat diabetes and obesity at the same time, you are potentially curing an epidemic in this country. And you're helping to abate the huge healthcare expense and that curve um, that is taking over the country. And, you know, we all know how expensive healthcare is, both from our uh, self perspective, but also as an employer. It's terribly expensive. Um, and, you know, I think the thing we have to think about in healthcare from these medications, I know Dr. Newhouse is going to talk about the safety and, and side effect profiles, but a couple of them that I think are worth mentioning is um, people tend to experience some pretty rapid weight loss when they take these GLP-1s. And what happens because of that is they experience muscle loss, not only fat loss, but muscle loss and some bone density loss. So it's really important that we not trade one set of problems being the diabetes problem for um, a different set of problems, which is muscle and bone loss, right? So people on these need to be aware of that and be focused on weight-bearing activity, exercise, and trying to get themselves to um, a healthy place. The other thing is these are um, very, very expensive medications. So you ask specifically how they're impacting workers' comp. Well, you know, we're seeing, you know, the ticket can be $1,500, $2,000 for a month's supply. And um, while, you know, an individual may have a knee that requires surgery and the surgeon is saying not only do you need to stop smoking, but you need to also lose weight, this could help with that, right? But, you know, that's the thing. It's very, very expensive. And as more of these come to market, it could be something that, is embraced in the workers' comp arena. Right now, we really try to limit that, but when you think about the expense, it's also the availability. Um, it's difficult. It's generally not covered under healthcare plans, and so people want workers' comp to pay for it um, because it's so hugely expensive. And um, even if you start taking it and pay for it out of pocket, then it becomes an availability issue. And then we can get some health and safety issues because you'll find compounding pharmacies, uh, building them, and maybe not in the most safe environment. 
So more to come. I'll leave it at that for now, and um, I'll we'll add more as the discussion continues. Well, going to you, Dr. Newhouse, as as Dr. Bartlett mentioned, certainly two of the big questions here are safety concerns or adverse effects. And then second, what are we seeing as far as costs for these medications? I uh, mentioned pretty steep. Will they be any foreseeable future ongoing down? But probably number one, safety-wise, what do we need to think about? Yeah, for the safety concerns, there are a good number of adverse reactions that come along with this. And I'll cover the, the more common ones first, which would involve the, the GI tract. So most patients or most workers are going to experience nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, and abdominal discomfort. And these are at fairly high rates at which you would experience them. At first, they're, they're generally mo moderate to moderate, moderate, but most patients, it could improve over time. But there are extreme circumstances with these side effects that patients could become malnourished, and this could be due to the fact that they have such extreme nausea or vomiting that they are unable to uh, consume any nutrients. On the other spectrum, the constipation. It, these medications can slow down your GI tract, and all of that waste can just build, and it causes extreme constipation in some populations and patients, which could put some of the workers back into the hospital uh, trying to deal with that issue or another set of medications that go along with it. Uh, now, again, these are extreme circumstances on that side. But there are other more serious... But Andrew, uh, Dr. Newhouse, isn't it true that that's the very design of the drug, right? That it slows the food yeah. moving through the GI tract so that you feel fuller a long time, right? That, that is correct. That is, you know, one of the main effects and purpose of that medication is which is why it causes the weight loss but with that comes other side effects but no great great point dr bartlett some of the major side effects or things that are still being looked into uh the fda has what we call a black box warning on these medications and this is a very serious side effect that the fda wants us to be aware of that could happen and that would be for thyroid tumors now, this was only studied in animals, mainly rodents. So there is a lack of clinical data for, for the human risk of it. But while it's still being studied, they're leaving this warning on just so patients with a history of thyroid tumors stay away from this medication. Uh, more recently, as of January you know, of this year, uh, the FDA is evaluating reports of suicidal thoughts uh, and uh, looking more in depth to that. There's a, primula a, a preliminary uh, evaluation uh, has not found any evidence of actual suicide, but they're looking more into and investigating uh, these suicidal thoughts. As for cost, these are high cost medications. I mean, we're ranging anywhere from $800 to $2,000 per month. Uh, it's a substantial price tag, but that comes with the newness of these medications. Uh, they're increasing popularity for diabetes and obesity tr uh, treatments and the lack of generic competitors thus far. Uh, 
these medications are fairly new and are going to stay branded for a very long time. So you can expect to see these high costs of medications for at least another decade. And just to add to that point real quick, I would say that there's, I believe, maybe eight to ten more medications that are GLP-1 uh, agonists like these that are in the pipeline, right, that haven't even gotten to market yet. So we expect to see more and more of this coming down down the road here. So it's, to Andrew's point, there's a, a lot more to come. And when you have that competitive of a uh, of a market with other manufacturers jumping in, there's just a, a lot to stay tuned to. Right, and it could drive the price down too, right, if we have more competition in the workplace. Potentially. The other yeah. thing that I would like to just raise here is um, – Although it hasn't been extensively studied as yet, there are some early studies that are saying these medications are reducing cravings in general, not just for sugar or food, but also for alcohol, drugs, maybe even smoking. They just kind of hit target the centers in the brain that are the craving centers. And so um, there could be some wider implications here um, in our society um, that may give some relief to um, addiction specialists. Just something to think about as a future, and who knows, it's yet to be studied, but they're seeing some good early results. Well, Dr. Peake, you, you mentioned there that there are more potential drugs in the pipeline, and so another thing we're seeing a lot of is is now that this is incredibly successful, everybody wants to try it, that, or many people want to try it, but there are supply issues involving these medications. So one, what, what's causing that and what's the impact, and is it just going to get more difficult if we have more drugs added with similar uh, type you know, mixes? Great point. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because in our part of the world with pharmacy, we're so used to the generic medications having shortages, it's not typical to see brand drugs like this have such shortages. But I think you hit the nail on the head. It's such a high demand, right? It's not just diabetes, but now it's weight loss. And so these manufacturers are caught off a little bit off guard as far as the level of demand that there is. And they've got factories, of course, in certain parts of the world, mainly in the U.S. and in Europe. But they just don't have enough right now to keep up with that demand. And I've read reports that they're really looking to scale that up to make sure they have enough medication for everyone. But I, I do think to your second question, that will be relieved a little bit if you get additional manufacturers kind of jump online with various products that also address weight loss and diabetes as well. But you've got, you know, you've got these medications that are really helping people lose weight. At the same time, with diabetes, we're, we're finding these medications are actually almost pretty much becoming the first-line treatment in a lot of ways for diabetes patients type 2. So there's just, because I think they're so successful, the demand is there, not to mention just the media craze. But there are other, other things, I think, at, at play here, right? Access is becoming a problem. So your typical retail pharmacy doesn't love to carry medications that are this expensive. They don't really like to tie up so much money in inventory. But because they're so expensive, that's what, that's what you would have to do. So you're finding a lot of the, the pharmacies don't carry these medications because of the cost. And also the pharmacies will tell you that they don't really get reimbursed very much when they do dispense the medications. So there's, there, there's concerns there with how the financials are kind of structured within pharmacy that are kind of making it more difficult to find these. Not to also mention like there's patients, and Dr. B kind of alluded to this earlier, 
Dr. Bartlett did, that we have patients who, when they, they don't want just a one-month supply, they're afraid that if I just fight for this one-month supply, I won't get it next month. So they're going, you know, to their home delivery pharmacy and requesting three months at a time. And when everyone's trying to get three months at a time, it also makes it harder to come by the medication. Um, also, we're having issues with, you know, just getting provider access. I, I read a story recently about a provider who specializes in weight loss, and his, his schedule is booked up for a year with new patients seeking care because they want access to these medications. Uh, and one interesting thing that's kind of come out of this is one of these manufacturers, Eli Lilly, uh, who makes these medications, has started their own kind of direct-to-consumer option via telehealth, where they can actually have telehealth providers talk with patients and then send them directly to the patient the medication, which is really a, a bit unique and concerning to have drug manufacturers getting into that, that world of direct-to-consumer. But we're seeing that level of kind of competitive market action in order for these companies trying to get market share. So there's a lot to be figured out with the shortage issue, but it's something that I know these manufacturers are working to solve. And there's a number of kind of, kind of uh, friction points that are leading to that. Dr. Newhouse, uh, since these medications can be used for both diabetes and weight loss, how are you and the pharmacy team able to identify what the patient is using them for? And is there anything else we need to know about how effective these drugs are in treating diabetes, which was the original intent? Yeah, thank you. Uh, there are a couple ways that we can determine if it's being used for diabetes versus weight loss. The first and most obvious one is uh, there's a generic name. So I'll just use, for example, uh, semaglutide. Now, it has two separate brand names, one being Ozempic, which was originally designed for diabetes, and that's the indication, is for diabetes. But the exact same medication has another brand name called Wagovi. Now, Wagovi is what is uh, indicated for weight loss. So if we are seeing dispensed Wagovi, it's going to be safe to assume that it's being used for weight loss for the patient. Now, where it gets somewhat tricky is since these medications have been on back order for weight loss, a lot of providers have been switching to the diabetic formulation. So patients might be using the Ozempic for weight loss. And uh, how we might be able to tell or at least distinguish is by the strength or the dosing of the medication. Now, typically, the dosing for uh, the weight loss has to be dosed at a higher amount. So you start off slow and then you titrate up to a much higher dose. Now, this is not usually the case for uh, dosing for diabetes. So if we are seeing, say, Ozempic, which would be for diabetes, but we're seeing it at you know, a much higher dose that is outside the range for use of diabetes, that might be a tip-off that, hey, maybe this uh, worker is using it for weight loss versus actual diabetes. Another way is we could take a look into their profile. So take a look at their history. Do they have a history of type 2 diabetes? Uh, are the, is their BMI or weight uh, at a certain uh, point where maybe they're using it for weight loss? So there's things in the profile that could tip off a pharmacist based off of what medications they're taking, the dose of these medications, and also the name of the medications. 
Now, you mentioned effectiveness for diabetes. So recently, the ADA, or American Diabetes Association, Association just released their updated 2024 guidelines. And this included the updates for the use of the GLP-1 agonist. So the new guidelines now have this, these agents as preferred therapy for type 2 diabetes that are overweight or, or obese. The previous guidelines only recommended it as an option. So if you are a new diabetic and you are considered overweight or obese, these are going to be your preferred agents to use. So they are very effective at treating diabetes and obesity. So it's kind of taking two birds or you know two birds with one stone, so to say. Well, back to you, Dr. Bartlett. Since these drugs are already being seen within the workers' compensation industry for the purpose of weight loss, are there any big questions that need to be answered as these medications become uh, more available and utilized uh, in the workers' compensation space? I think so. I, I mean, the one big one is, and both Dr. Newhouse and Dr. Peak kind of briefly touched on this, but you know, these drugs have a pretty big side side effect profile, <clears throat> and one of the big problems with that, if you're in a weight loss program is sometimes the people taking them don't want to stay, stick with it. They don't want to stay on the drugs. Although weight loss is motivating for them, sometimes if you're just vomiting or have the severe nausea all the time, you look for that opportunity to get off the medication. I met someone recently who was on them, and, and she told me it was like the first trimester of pregnancy. She felt like she was just throwing up all day, every day, and it just was not an attractive. She wanted to live her life. It wasn't a good thing for her. So that's one thing to, to keep in mind. But the, the other thing is, where is the end game? There is no end game. I think, you know, weight loss and diabetes or obesity and diabetes are disease states. And the treatment of those as is seen as lifelong. And so if you get a person to their ideal weight loss goal, if they go off the medication, there are some studies that are showing almost 50% of patients will gain back some or all of the weight. And part of the issue is that they no longer have this intense feeling of fullness or they no longer have, you know, the gastric slowing that Dr. Newhouse was talking about. And uh, for me, you know, if you have a motivated individual who wants to lose weight and is experiencing some success and the side effect panel usually goes away within a month or so, or at least it lessens. And it, so the person loves what's happening with them and they're having success. How do I in workers' comp, if, if I have a surgeon saying, I'll do the surgery once you lose 10 or 20 pounds, how do I in workers' comp get them off these medications or stop paying for them? And so I think you know, if we as an industry start to embrace these medications, 
we have to begin with the end in mind. How do we, what is the goal that we're out for and how do we get out of it? How do we stop paying for it? So, you know, I'm not trying to be cruel or to limit individual impact, but, you know, workers' comp is intended as a benefit to treat, you know, an injury, a specific injury. So we know we're going to see some of these drugs, and we already have, but we have to be just very careful about how and when and when to stop. And that, those are all very difficult situations, claim-by-claim claim basis. Well, do we have final thoughts uh, before we, we wrap? I mean, this has been a, an amazing conversation, and I think so. what's great about it is each of you is just bringing real facts, you know, no hype. So uh, any parting thoughts, again, especially, I mean, I know it's going to continue to be more and more questions uh, from both those who are in the work comp industry being affected by it and I would say my last thought is I would just you know we we are watching this closely and watching the trends both in the healthcare industry and in the workers comp segments and we're looking for a best practice and so um while Everything is evolving very quickly in this um, in this part of <laughs> pharmacy. It is something that we will closely keep our eye on for clients and for injured workers because we also worry about their health and safety as well. Well said. There's yeah, absolutely a lot more to come within this field and within these medications and, and the various new medications that are yet to come out. So as Dr. Barnett mentioned, we'll be keeping our eye out to make sure we're addressing those issues and, and staying on top of it. Well, once again, thank you, Dr. Bartlett, Dr. Peek, and Dr. Newhouse for uh, sharing your expertise. And uh, more information will be coming. Just keep your eye out on all the Sedgwick uh, channels, sedgwick.com, and our other social sites where we share thought leadership. And uh, probably we'll have another, hopefully, podcast as this continues to evolve. So thanks all three of you for being a uh, guest today. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Thank Thank you. you very much.